everyone. Welcome back to the Chain Reaction Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy, a co-founder at Delphi Digital, where we're five full-time analysts focused on institutional crypto research. If you aren't a subscriber, you're missing out, so visit the site while you're listening to this episode. One quick housekeeping item, this podcast is strictly informational and educational and is not investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens or securities or to make any financial decisions. I may personally own tokens that are mentioned on this podcast, and to be specific, I am currently not participating in the Edgeware lock drop or the Signal or own tokens in Polkadot. With that out of the way, today I'm thrilled to have on Dylan Chen, who's the co-founder of Commonwealth Labs, to discuss the project they're launching called Edgeware. As a reminder, Polkadot is an interoperability platform that is set to launch in a few months, and Edgeware's goal is to bring smart contracts to Polkadot itself. This would bring smart contract functionality to Polkadot and allow it to compete with Ethereum, Tezos, EOS, and other smart contract platforms. Edgeware is currently running an innovative alternative to raise known as a lock drop. Instead of raising money from investors, Edgeware is allowing holders of Ether to lock their Ether up and receive Edgeware tokens in the future or to signal their intent to back the project without locking their Ether to also earn Edgeware tokens. This is a really innovative approach, not only to garner a large potential stakeholder base, which is critical for a project's success, but also to increase the value of Edgeware's future treasury without directly raising money from investors. Currently, there's 881,000 Ether locked and 1.2 million Ether signaled, or 273 million and 372 million in value, respectively. Edgeware is a high-profile project, and this is hopefully the most in-depth discussion to date on Edgeware, with a ton of great color on Polkadot as well. I hope you enjoy, and please share the episode around on Twitter. With that, let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Dylan Chen, the co-founder of Commonwealth, which is spinning up Edgeware and is doing the lock drop process for Edgeware. Dylan, how's it going? It's good, Tom. Thanks for, uh, I guess, meeting up in person to do this. Yeah, don't do too many in-person podcasts, but it's great to be a real human and uh, do this in person. I know. I spend too much time on Google Hangouts and and other things, so it it really is nice to to see you in person. Yeah, of course. Just um, give us your background, Dylan, and how you got involved with crypto. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think in 2014 was when I first acquired my first Bitcoin, Um, and so that was... uh, I got paid at Sprayable Energy. Shout out to Devin Ben. Um, and I was also interning with a fellow uh, Bitcoiner at the time, Eric Finman. Um, he's also working on a cool crypto project right now. Um, so everyone's kind of been in the crypto family. Um, I think uh, after that, went out to, to Penn um, and then was doing a little bit of net- network research, um, looking at different Bitcoin transactions um, and seeing what addresses were correlated. I uh, was doing some dorm room mining with Drew, uh, another co-founder of Commonwealth. Um, and then uh, investing um, out of uh, Rough Draft Ventures and Turing Capital and looking at crypto products. So great intro. And how did you decide to find Edgeware through Commonwealth? Or what's actually the genesis that links Edgeware to Commonwealth here? That's a really great question. Um, So kind of Commonwealth, the entity kind of got off the ground, I would say, um, at the end of uh, last summer, and so 2018, essentially, if I'm still remembering correctly. Um, and Edgeware, specifically within the Commonwealth entity, uh, we won within the, the whole space. We wanted to focus on governance as one specific uh, key point. 
Um, we wanted to make sure there was a place for everyone to get on the same page just because um, Twitter, Telegram, Discord isn't always the right venue to, to kind of discuss different issues. Um, so uh, we kind of decided to, to prototype um, a product, which is like now the Commonwealth interface. And um, basically, we needed to, to find a way to bootstrap that product. And that's kind of how Edgework came along. So we like to say we we're in the right place at the right time. Um, so I think in November of last year, we, we started to, to kind of like um, talk to a few folks within the Parity Web3 ecosystem. And uh, yeah, they were thinking about a few concepts related to Edgeware. And uh, we kind of um, felt like, hey, this is something we should actually bring forward. And we kind of decided to, to go full bore into actually uh, launching Edgeware. And uh, here we are, six, seven, eight months later. And uh, yeah, it's been a whole uh, wild ride since. Quick turnaround time for sure. And just for our listeners, can you give just your elevator pitch on what Edgeware is and what are the goals of the Edgeware platform itself? I know there's been a lot of press around the lock drop and signaling, which we can get into later. I think that's been covered uh, pretty extensively so far. But what are the goals of Edgeware? Yeah, no need to be the dead horse for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, Edgeware, the, the tagline, um, it's a Polkadot smart contract platform. And so kind of to unpack that, it's really a few things. Um, you can write WASM smart contracts. So whether it's in Rust, C, C++, assembly script, um, you can write um, those smart contracts in a language that's most familiar to, to most developers. Um, it is on-chain governed. Um, and so any parameter change, inflationary, um, you know, block reward change, those kind of all flow from on-chain governance. And then the third leg is essentially, okay, if it's on-chain governed, Who's going to actually hold this token? And we decided to go with this like uh, more experimental approach to distributing tokens um, that we've kind of seen, um, and that that kind of process went live a few weeks ago. So we're excited to to have those results in. That's incredible. So you guys are a smart contracting platform for Polkadot. You, I believe, you're operating your own parachain. What do you guys solve that Polkadot can't do on its own? I mean, it's my understanding that Polkadot itself can't do smart contracts. I don't think. Are you guys addressing that need? And, you know, if you can give some comparisons to Ethereum, that would be helpful too. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, yeah, the I guess um, to TLDR Polkadot itself, um, it's essentially um, just an interoperability layer. And so it's really incumbent on any parachain or, um, yeah, parachain, whether it's general purpose or application specific to provide functionality. So people um, should stake dots to choose the parachains that they kind of want on the network through an auction type mechanism. Um, and so hopefully um, Edger will be one of those uh, right at the beginning. Um, we, we've kind of been working on it for, for a little bit. Um, and so um, Edgeware specifically, since um, Polkadot is only for passing messages and value back and forth between these, um, these parachains, and then also providing security for this whole web of chains, um, they still need the functionality. And so Edgeware specifically, we decided instead of being application specific or you know just doing a DAO chain, um, there still needed to be this general smart contract layer. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So while Polkadot is an interoperability platform or a bridge between the two, mm -hmm. you guys are handling all the smart contracts. So this would be anything, if somebody wants to build a DAP or a smart contract, you guys would handle all the logic? Yeah, all the logic is inbuilt. And so you can, um, yeah, um, gas or meter transactions can can essentially still happen on Edgeware. Gotcha, that makes sense. And there's definitely some confusion, I think, at least my understanding is a little confusing because 
a lot of people view Polkadot as strictly a bridge, but they also have Substrate, which makes it really easy to deploy blockchains and apps. Do you, as you know, a dev team building on Polkadot and building smart contracts for Polkadot, do you think this gets a little confusing from a Polkadot perspective on being a bridge versus hosting all these dApps, or do you view it only as a bridge? Um, well, so I guess when you bring up Substrate, so we, we build on Substrate, um, and so to, to actually... Um, kind of make that whole process of building a blockchain easier. I think Substrate for sure lives up to to kind of its um, its billing. Um, I would say I don't think it gets too confusing because I think you know from Substrate it provides the easy package, um, and then Substrate also kind of like builds in the hooks to actually become a parachain itself, um, and so it kind of still. Um, within the Polkadot ecosystem plays its role. But I may, may be misunderstanding the question. No, no, that, that makes sense. I just always viewed Polkadot as, as a bridge. And then once they released Substrate, I was like, all right, wow, this might be somewhat competitive because anyone can launch a DAP or a blockchain pretty easily here. I see. Yeah. So moving forward, let's think, you know, one, five years in the future, and you guys are doing smart contracts on Polkadot. What are some example use cases do you think you could enable? Like, would DeFi on Polkadot make sense here? Or basically, is it whatever developers want to build? Um, want, definitely whatever developers want to build. Um, that's that's always the, the kind of, um, you know, it may be like the whole premise of um, <laughs> open blockchains. And there's another blockchain that obviously, or pseudo blockchain, blockchain, whatever, that came out recently that we can maybe talk about. Um, but the things that I'm personally excited about in the next few years are, um, I guess, specifically DAOs, um, different types of like common networks, and then also maybe like DID solutions um, to kind of like, we really feel like those are kind of like sets of tools that, that still need to be built um, to kind of enable like popular usage. Um, so we'll definitely look forward to those on Edgework. That's incredible. Do you have any teams today reaching out to you guys saying, you know, hey, we don't like building on Ethereum, we don't like building on Tezos, but... We need smart contract functionality and, you know, we can't wait for you guys to launch or is it a little early at this stage? You know, there's a few in my inbox actually right now that I need to respond to. Um, off the top of my head, I, I think there's a there's a few actually DAOs that are, are slated to launch on, on Edgeware, um, I think right at mainnet launch. Um, our node um, by a few guys out of Japan, Garrett, um, is one of the members of there. And basically it's, it's like a... Uh, Moloch on Edgeware, essentially, type of thing. Um, who else? Uh, a few DEXs have reached out, some pair, uh, sorry, prediction markets um, as well. So DeFi-type things, which I, th- I guess is only natural given the, the kind of usage that we've already seen, but no kind of like gaming-related um, things um, as of yet. But it's been pretty good, honestly. That's great. So it sounds like the developer community around Polkadot is pretty strong. I know it's early and I know that there was like 20 projects launching on Polkadot a few months ago, but basically you guys are going to also make it easy, not just to interoperate with smart contracts, other platforms, but also with other parachains on Polkadot. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So just moving on to the governance of Edgeware, how do you guys address governance and do you ever have to interact with the governance of Polkadot itself? Yeah, um, actually, so the kind of last part of the question that you asked, um, how would we actually interact with the Polkadot governance? Um, so Edgeware has a live testnet now, and uh, Polkadot also does as well. And they'll they'll be transitioning to kind of like the, the full, um, I guess, functionality of, of Polkadot in the next uh, few months um, on their testnet. 
And how like we would interact with Polkadot governance, we would basically, um, uh, through this summer, we want to basically become a testnet parachain, essentially, instead of being what we are now, just a siloed type of thing. Um, but to get to the first part of the question, um, kind of what is edge governance and how do we think about it? Um, I th- definitely think the first thing to, to frame this kind of whole discussion is that we're still really early in all these things and, and we don't know the best ways and, and hopefully our, our a solution is, is um, going in the right direction. But again, if you're listening to this and you think there are other things, would definitely encourage you to participate um, and spin up proposals or add discussions to the whole network. But um, yeah, governance on Edgeware is um, a few rings, essentially. So we've built in an identity module so you can tag social identity, whether that be Twitter, uh, Telegram, or WeChat, if you're in China, um, to an Edgeware address. And then from that, you can start to do signaling proposals. So they're non-binding, but on-chain. And then you can basically build up a voting profile. And then you have uh, democracy, so token-weighted voting. Um, that actually does change parameters or issues different uh, tokens from the treasury. Um, everyone votes on it. And so you should be able to choose like who you kind of vote with from the signaling proposals. And then also once, you know, this process has been voted, um, democracy kind of participants can vote in people onto a council. And so the, the council members are able to kind of like influence um, democracy proposals by basically biasing um, uh, like how impactful or like the difference between yays and nays have to be to get um, something to pass. That's a, that's edgeware governance in a nutshell. It's incredible. And it's way easier hearing from you than digging through all the docs on GitHub. So I appreciate that. You know, a lot of talk is on systemic kind of changes and, you know, it comes to mind that if people or developers start building smart contracts and applications using edgeware as the smart contract layer built on Polkadot, Changes to Polkadot could then influence those applications. So Polkadot at the base and then Edgeware and then the applications built on top. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see that as a potential concern or, you know, is that something that's basically the same with Ethereum and Tezos too? I think these are always like um, multifactorial type of discussions um, as well as kind of decentralization as a, as a whole. Um, you know, looking at just decentralization, we can ask like, uh, if, if we're looking at a proof of work network, like what's the mining pool concentration, like what, you know, how much stake is actually aggregated? Um, you know, is it like a, a singleton VM? Like, are these all like, you know, how many nodes are there, um, in general, um, and kind of the same way with, with governance in general, um, and how Edgeware interacts with potentially Polkadot, um, one, like overall, like Edgeware is operating as a solo chain now. And so it can always operate like that. Um, two, uh, like Edgeware can't like if if and when or you know let's say if I, I would hope it gets voted in um, if Edgeware becomes a parachain um, essentially we have like a guaranteed slot for a certain amount of time and so if you're building um, a DAP or a protocol on Edgeware it's not going to be like automatically kicked off or something like that um, and uh, I guess like those would be the two main things there's a little bit of just misconceptions around um, how Polkadot operates in, in general. Got it. That's great color. And the two year, I think it's a two year lockup for parachains, I believe. Yeah. How do you internally think about that from a planning perspective? Do you, you know, set up, set aside some money to make sure that you're voted back in, or do you have to like talk to the Polkadot community? Like what's the best way do you think to approach kind of 
maintaining your slot in a parachain. And I know it's early and this is conjecture considering uh, it's not launched yet. Yeah, no, that, that's, um, to, yeah, definitely knocking out that, that caveat, um, is, um, is a very important thing. Um, I, you know, I think the, the polka dot ecosystem and the validators like will, will largely, um, look at it from an economic perspective. Um, since, um, obviously Edgeware token still will be useful, um, essentially to, to pay for like transactions and prevent denial of services on the, the air chain itself. Um, Edgeware tokens like will also be paid to collators and then also Polkadot validators as well. And so I think it will be a, ra- uh, a, a pretty rational decision as well from that perspective. I think other kind of like carrots and sticks that are yeah, carrots and sticks that may be used are, are essentially allocating, you know, from Edgeware, the treasury um, to uh, different uh, validators as well to potentially sweeten the pot. Those would be governance proposals that would happen on Edgeware. Got it. That makes sense. And before we go into potential governance decisions for Edgeware, let's take one step back and talk about the treasury for a second. Mm -hmm. Can you, because that's what hopefully Edgeware participants and stakeholders are going to be voting to use to help fuel your platform here. Can you discuss how that's funded, how much is in there or any metrics or the process for that treasury would be helpful? Yeah, definitely. So um, in the white paper, we, we kind of laid out the, the kind of like initial vision. And so it's still, we're doing a lot of experiments and this treasury is certainly one of them. Um, so it's, it's fully on chain and essentially it's funded initially by the, um, I guess, uh, uh, inflation in the first year. So inflation is 20%, 10%, uh, is allocated to validators, and then 10% is allocated to this uh, treasury. And um, basically, through the, the, the Edgeware governance, you can create different proposals and then send money, or send, sorry, I shouldn't say money, but tokens to uh, different individuals, whether they be developers, uh, people hosting meetups, and things like that to, to kind of uh, boost growth, so to speak. I'm always concerned saying money on podcasts because I feel like I trigger everyone on crypto Twitter. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. So the treasury is funded for the first year. Half of the 20% inflation goes there. Is there any funding after the first year or is that basically your war chest as potentially Edgeware token could accrue value and increase and that treasury could increase in value? Um, I definitely have no idea what will happen with... Um, Edgeware value in the long term, um, but what we've what is um, kind of set aside in the protocol is the overall inflation. So twenty percent, it's it's dis it's, it's disflationary. So around a billion tokens. So there's five billion uh, initially um, uh, at Genesis Edgeware tokens. One billion in the first year, one billion in the second year, and so if you look at the percentage numbers, it's twenty percent. You know, around sixteen percent, and then so on and so forth. And so of that a billion, half a billion will always be allocated to this treasury unless future governance changes that parameter. That's incredible. So, I mean, you're one of the few projects out there that has an on-chain treasury. I'm guessing you guys thought a lot about funding this. Um, why, what was your decision to basically input a treasury versus, say, you know, raising money from investors and starting a foundation or something like that? Yeah, I, I think like the one thing that we thought of, it's, well, there's not, never really one thing. I think from this whole process, like we've learned a lot about um, just like blockchain in general. And I think the one trend that we can hopefully all agree on is that it hopefully is getting cheaper to, to build these things. 
And two, I think it really is the community that really makes these projects in general. And so I think we, we thought it would uh, kind of like live or die um, based on uh, the initial set of participants. So people who were coming over in, in the lock drop would kind of direct the network and they would so choose like um, how the network would evolve. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. So we talked about the treasury because hopefully Edgeware stakeholders are going to be actively participating in deciding the future of the platform and how funds should be spent. And that's definitely a governance decision for sure. How easy do you envision it to be for stakeholders to not only propose changes, but also to vote on them, whether it be for the treasury or the consensus itself or the protocol itself? That's honestly such an um, important question. Um, and, and since we know kind of um, our, our friends at Aragon, um, uh, they're actually participating in the lock drop process. Um, and, but um, as of yet, that proposal um, had, um, I think like 3% of um, A&T uh, participating in that. And so one of the, the things within, I guess, um, the overall Commonwealth um, governance thought process is we need to make it really easy, at least um, we need to make a UI that is uh, really easy to, to facilitate discussions as well as voting. Um, and so hopefully we can kind of boost that participation. And so that, that's like how we, we think about things. Got it. So as the smart contract chain per se of, of Polkadot, what do you think voters would really have to vote on or stakeholders have to vote on to change your protocol itself? I mean, it sounds, I'm a non-developer. So from my perspective, it's kind of like, all right, this is deployed to power smart contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, what could we possibly change? Yeah. What are some examples you think people might have to change on that's not treasury focused? Definitely. Um, so uh, actually, we were having an earlier discussion today about uh, with, uh, Adrian Link at Cryptium Labs. Um, and so it was an interesting discussion basically um, about bridges. And so different primitives that might need to be built into the chain itself. I think to zoom out a little bit, Polkadot and I guess Substrate, one specific like technical paradigm shift is that on, on Ethereum, you just write smart contracts, essentially. And so all the functionality is like stuffed into that. But um, in, in on Edgeware, there's like other kind of unmetered transactions that can kind of go on. And so we built this module. Essentially, every validator will still like validate these um, transactions, so to speak. Um, and uh, a lot, basically alongside that, um, we can build more modules that can enable other functionality. So whether that be like primitives for zero-knowledge proofs um, or kind of like other associated functionality, those would be things that um, the governance would, would probably vote on. That makes a lot of sense. So zooming way out for a second, and I know that you guys are getting a lot of press for block drop and signaling and all that stuff, but if we zoom out, you guys are really leading Polkadot in becoming not only an interoperability platform, but a functional smart programming platform as well through you guys. I, I, <laughs> I hope we can live up to that mantle. I feel like that's, um, that's a lot to say, but um, it's been a lot of fun working with the platform. I think everyone on the parity side, they're super helpful, um, just like discussing technical issues within Riot. There's a lot of other projects, you know, within the ecosystem. And I think like we've been able to take advantage of, of those kind of, I guess, learnings along the way. Yeah, I, I hope we can kind of continue to, to build and um, integrate within the ecosystem. Can't beat humble. I love that, though. So moving on a bit, let's go, let's zoom way out to... Not zoom way out, but let's focus on the lock drop and signaling for a second. Mm -hmm. I know it's been covered a lot, but just give us the brief overview of what your lock drop is and what signaling is. And 
for our listeners, I think this is extremely timely because I believe it's still ongoing. We have Algorand's Dutch auction going on, which is extremely innovative as well. So uh, you're right in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually be curious to hear. I mean, I saw a few tweets on the Algorand uh, Dutch auction and it was bananas from like the few tweets I saw. But um, yeah, the, the Edgeware kind of uh, distribution, I think, uh, again, we wanted to make sure that a lot of participants could, could kind of come into the network right at the beginning um, in an open manner. And so I think around 2,500 um, different people have participated or that's a dr- ETH addresses that have participated. There's been, I think, uh, double the, the transactions that have actually flowed through the lock drop contract. But again, we wanted to make sure that we seeded the network with a, a lot of great participants and uh, the lock drop with this chosen mechanism, the lock drop itself, what happens is you lock up um, your Ethereum into the smart contracts for three months, six months, 12 months. And then there's this other kind of add-on, which is uh, called signaling. You don't lock for any amount of time, but you basically sign a transaction and you make sure that your your um, ETH balance reflect like has a certain amount in there and then we'll allocate um, some Edgeware tokens to you. Got it. So you guys aren't doing a capital raise. You guys are telling people, hey, either lock up your ETH in a smart contract for a certain amount of time and get rewarded Edgeware tokens or put your money where your mouth is and signal your intent through a transaction and we'll give you Edgeware tokens, but obviously less than the lockup. Yeah, it's yeah. The the purpose of the lockup was or the lock drop itself was not really to again, like you said, not an investment thing. We really just wanted to distribute tokens in this network, kind of see the network from there. That's a good point. So it seems that attracting the widest array and the most active community is central to having a successful protocol launch. And I know thinking back, Zero X made a huge point of this by capping their token sale. And having you know as many participants as they could, how do you think of success here? Like five thousand potential addresses, I think you pointed to total sounds like a lot. Um, do you expect you know being cynical for a second? Do you expect these people to say, hey, you know, I'm just here for the money and the tokens, or do you think people are going to say, you know, hey, I'm involved and I can't wait to help this community grow? I think there's a few. Stati- so definitely would love everyone to participate. I think we we do have to to be realistic about things. And I think um, a few other kind of community metrics that we might be able to look at are, are a little more indicative of the level of involvement. So I think um, off the top of my head, there's uh, 130 people who indicated that they want to be a validator, essentially, so that they've gone through the process of generating three uh, key pairs, locking a certain amount, you have to lock, um, and then indicated basically from that, that they want to be there right at network launch. And then like other you know, kind of like social community statistics. There's, um, I think, I want to say like uh, a few thousand, um, you know, whether it's on WeChat, Telegram, uh, Discord, that of people kind of like talking every single day about things they want to build, things that kind of, you know, they feel like might need to be improved. So it's, I think it's de- definitely been pretty successful. I think the top line number um, has also been pretty good. And we'll, we will kind of like see kind of like if it's done its job uh, once the network launches. That's a great, another metric to look at. And I don't, I know you're here with me now, but off the top of your head, do you remember how much was locked or signaled at this time? Or um, Give me, uh, it was, okay. So as of like last night, it was uh, 860,000 ETH locked. And I want to say 1.2 million signaled. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, so the it's aggregate of that is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, That's it is. Uh, 
and honestly, it, it succeeded our wildest, wildest expectations that's, by any measure. Yeah, that's incredible, especially for I think you said what six months you guys been working on this. It's been yeah, it's, it's been it's been a it's it's really interesting to see kind of something grow beyond uh, your kind of own input. It, that's that's kind of been like the the like I don't know startup kind of experience from from that side for me. Yeah, no, I agreed, and I wanted to ask Lask about the polka dot uh, parody connection here last because I wanted to focus on what mm-hmm. you guys are building because that's the most interesting part here. But how do you guys respond to the whole parodies able to use their lost funds to signal intent and disc abuse to enrich them? Like, how would you guys tackle that one? Yeah, I, I always think this is really funny just because, and I can kind of see how there's um, misconceptions about this. I definitely want to back up and say, like, you know, Commonwealth Labs is an independent entity and we are using parity um, substrate technology, but so are the, you know, 20 or so uh, projects that are building within this ecosystem. And I definitely want to point out that everyone has been tremendously helpful in kind of getting this off the ground. Um, and so definitely don't want it to kind of cheapen that. But the lock trap itself is definitely an open uh, experiment is still the, the thing and operating word I would use. And so as kind of one subset of that experiment, um, we, we kind of through the signaling mechanism allowed different people to participate in the lock drop. And so you can signal on behalf of a contract that you created and the parity multi-sig f- falls under that set of all. Well, it's a it's a contract, so someone created it essentially. And so the other kind of addendum to that was what we said is if you uh, signaled um, on behalf of a contract and that those funds essentially are unable to be sent for the duration of the lock drop, we'll count that potentially as a lock essentially. And so that's that's kind of how um, yeah that's kind of been seen. And so. You know, beyond the, the kind of two-week period, um, it's been crazy, again, to see the overall participation. And now that it's kind of become something more real, it seems like people are kind of honing in on, on that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely want to zoom out and keep perspective. It's it's all very, very new to us and to the whole ecosystem as, as a whole. And so I definitely appreciate the eyeballs. And, you know, I think that the, the scrutiny is, you know, it's welcome, right? We should all talk about these things in the open. So playing devil's advocate for you guys, because there has been some pushback there. If I were to play on your side here, I would say that wouldn't it be really difficult to build a signaling or a lock drop mechanism and just excluding their one parity contract? Like, how hard would that be to even do? Well, there are definitely like centralized, like off chain ways to do that. I think that's kind of against the spirit of the, the, the lock drop in general and not really how we wanted to frame that kind of um, open to support. Uh, participatory process. Um, I think, so we're actually going to run some governance polls essentially over the course of the summer. And the process we're going to run is um, based on the um, Edgeware participants um, as a whole right now. We'll say like, we'll, we'll give you, you know, um, testnet tokens essentially um, in, in accordance with like uh, what the actual like token split um, is. And based on that, we'll, we'll do governance polls. So it's like, what are examples that I'd actually like to see? So should we potentially just cap the lock drop now? Because like we feel like we've kind of reached that goal that's already been kind of voiced in the Telegram. How should different locks be treated? What are kind of things that uh, we should start to potentially allocate initially at the treasury in the beginning? Those are kind of things that we'll kind of even in a soft way without on-chain governance, um, but essentially test over the summer. Incredible. So this is a great segue into your timeline. When do these tokens go live or get released? Obviously, depending on 
There's also the lock drop period there to think about. Mm -hmm. But when do the tokens get released and when do you guys go live? Uh, basically all at once. Uh, so the lock drop is it started June 1st. Um, it'll end September 1st, uh, UTC 00. Um, and uh, the, the network is slated to go live September 15th. And so uh, basically based on the Edgeware address that you so indicated in the course of locking ETH, that address will be um, basically seeded with um, the Edgeware tokens initially. And so validators will kind of all come online on September 15th. Token will all be allocated uh, right at Genesis. And on your site, I think you guys said you were giving away 90% of the tokens. I might be misremembering that. Mm -hmm. Is that the amount you guys are giving away? Yes. Wow. So you guys are giving away 90% of the network. It kind of reminds me of Stellar, but uh, in a way. Yeah, that was, uh, I remember, that was, yeah, I remember Stellar. I remember. I was there. I was there. So the bumper sipper. Yeah, no, that that is, uh, that's another story, but it's a short one. But back to you guys. So 90% is given away. How much to founders and how much to the treasury again? So the the ten percent is allocated to kind of like the the whole range of initial participants that like outside of the lock drop. So four point five percent to to Commonwealth Labs, three uh, percent to Parity for building out substrate and then you know other associated technologies, and then what is it? It's uh, two point five percent to to kind of like uh, close advisors and then early network participants. Gotcha. And then on an ongoing basis in the first year, there's 20% inflation, half goes to the fund, half goes to validators. Right. Correct. Um, zooming way out for a second, uh, I want to talk about the devs for a second. When you're building, like if somebody, a developer wants to build using you guys for smart contracts, do they have to like build their application on a different parachain and use you guys? Or do they build on your parachain? Like how do developers kind of think through building applications on Polkadot and Edgeware? Right. Yeah. So I, I think the, the parachain model in general is all about, or I guess Polkadot is all about giving you um, the choices as a developer. So um, they're different, like it may be a little, um, I will say like adds a little bit of technical complexity if you want to build modules, additional kind of like um, exploits or other things that you have to worry about um, as opposed to just writing smart contracts. But if you were just writing a smart contract, you should just be able to, to basically interact with the contract module itself. You should be able to build in Rust or you know those other languages that I mentioned before. And it should be pretty similar or essentially the same as kind of what we, we kind of know and love from these other smart contract, plat smart contract platforms. Gotcha. So the experience seems pretty easy from a developer standpoint. Do you think that it's easier to build on you guys versus other platforms? Or do you think to developers at this point, it's just another walk in the park? Or what do you, what do you think? Um, I say walk in the park there <laughs> questionably. I know yeah. it's hard. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I, I think the, the North Star that we're looking for is to, to be able to appeal to those like and college hackathon hackers, right? And so um, I think we're always a, a little bit uh, further away there. There's always work that needs to be done on documentation. There's, um, you know, whether it's an online IDE and these kind of other associated pieces of tooling, like those are still important. I, remembering back to when we first started building on Ethereum, uh, we needed block explorers. We have those now. We need we needed a faucet. We have those now. Um, and you like, there's pretty good documentation on, on building some smart contracts. So like, at least the bare bones stuff is there. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to improve that in the next uh, months and years. And hopefully the community will as well. Yeah, that's that's definitely the key here. And do you think that Edgeware 
offers anything to developers that they can't get building on other platforms. I mean, obviously they have to say, obviously there's massive trade-offs between Polkadot and other platforms at the base layer, and that'll attract different developers. But like, is there anything Ethereum is trying to do or that Tezos is trying to do or EOS or Bitcoin that you guys enable now? And I know you mentioned Wasm, and I, I don't think Ethereum has that yet. Yeah, no. Um, the 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 Ewasm team has been working on basically um, implementing that as as one kind of option um, in ETH 2.0, I believe. And, and they had they've had a few test nets up, and uh, then have been working on associated kind of uh, tooling around that. So um, EVM to to Wasm compat or trans compilation um, essentially. Yeah, that is not included now, um, but. I totally, I don't know. I could stop there on that question. Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, closing out, Dylan, who do you think is the smartest person in crypto? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, it depends what, because like, I think crypto, like, I think it's, it's, it's often tweeted and like, it, I think it's a reality. It's like a whole different, whole different can of worms. So you have to know a little bit about game theory, a little bit about like, you know, network security, cryptography, all these other things. And so if you're, if you're asking about one specific subset, I might be able to answer a little better. I mean, I guess like off the top of my head, I've been really interested in, in more like economic models lately. And so I'm just going to say SDLR, um, because I've actually, uh, shout out, but like, yeah, the different patronage models and, um, playing with Harburger taxes, I think is, is one of the things that I've always been most excited about. And, um, Hey, let's, you know, if I were to go with, I'll just go with Vitalik. I think that that's, that's <laughs> nice you want to go it's, it's always an easy one. I hear that a lot. And one more rapid fire question, cause we do have some more time. Any initial thoughts on Facebook, Libra and, uh, you know, oh, do you think this is competitive or what are you thinking here? So Obviously, potentially huge geopolitical um, considerations, um, and like actually, like I think honestly, it's been picked apart, and like pretty nuanced debate has happened on Twitter. I think so. From my perspective, like the the validators, um, they can earn fees basically from just like the security token that they might have, and then also just from fees that kind of pass through Libra itself. If you're looking at from like a maybe a pure business perspective, like I think it would definitely make sense to be a validator. Um, on, on Libra and like if if we're looking at like um, Alipay and like the fact that they already have like 240 million billion under AUM in four years um, you can kind of see the scope on on what Facebook might be able to have um, and then to, to look through if it's competitive from public crypto, uh, public blockchains and then uh, the other things I think it's not competitive and I do think it's like something that can be an on-ramp but there's always the, the factor of like, hey, like we're already trying to decentralize Web2, right? And like, um, and so if they already have like such match, massive reach, maybe like it might be a, like a closed ecosystem that locks everyone in. That's something, I mean, I would need to noodle on a little more, but that's for, for sure. Like I can see arguments from both sides and I don't think we'll, we'll see that in the early days. No, that's incredible insight and that's appreciated. And Building on that, do you see a world where non-crypto devs or crypto devs build on Facebook and interoperate with Polkadot and Edgeware, or am I jumping way too many mental hops right now? <laughs> Actually, was, I was thinking about that literally right before this uh, conversation. I, I was looking like briefly again at the, the Libra white paper. Um, so we know like the validators are the only ones that it seems actually have um, like access to like the full transaction set. And so you have to just like query everything. And so like, it's not even like a light client. If 
I, I guess. But you can still, well, there's a state route or whatever they're, they're calling it um, and, and these other things. But I, th- I mean, if you could build a bridge, that would be really, really amazing. Um, I, I would need to think through what it would actually look like. But um, yeah, my take yeah. is that the first smart contract platform to integrate with Facebook's UX is going to be at a huge advantage, but I don't even know if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's let's continue to dive in a little more. I guess it's it's all public now, right? So we can we can dive into the code. Dylan, incredible insight. Where can people follow you and follow your project and learn more? Yeah, um, I think Twitter is definitely the best um, public endpoint. So I am at uh, Dil Chen um, on Twitter. Um, hey Edgeware is, well, Hey Edgeware on Twitter. You can still participate in Lockdrop at edgewa.re slash Lockdrop. Um, um, yeah, those are kind of the, the three places to, to really kind of plug. Um, definitely check out uh, yeah, us Dylan, over there. Dylan, it's been a pleasure having you on. I know we hopped around a lot, and this is great to do in person, but I'm glad we're able to hit on hopefully every major topic. Yeah, no, it, I kind of think these conversations where we can kind of go deep on anything are, are kind of the, the best things for me. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Anytime, Dylan. Talk yeah. soon. See ya. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you learned anything, please share the episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. Feel free to tag us and visit DelphiDigital.io to learn more about our research.